Hey everybody, it's Maddie C. Welcome back to the What Am I Making podcast. It is really great to have you here. On today's episode, I welcome back author, film producer, and fellow Substacker Matt Berenson for a full ranking of the REM discography. Get ready for Maddie C and Maddie B to go ninth circle nerd on an American institution. Let's get into it. It's Maddie C. Welcome back to the What Am I Making podcast. It's really wonderful to have you here. How was your Christmas? Do you celebrate? Did you celebrate? Did you spend time with family? Did you spend time with friends? Did you travel? What'd you do? Uh, Happy New Year. If you're listening to this on the day that it drops, happy very first day of 2024. Uh, It's been uh, quite a journey in 2023. Uh, I'm not going to do the big year-end wrap-up thing. I'm going to I'm going to save that. I'm going to I'm working on a couple of things just to do a small kind of recap in February once we reach the 1 year anniversary as opposed to doing a big year end of 2023. I'd rather do a year end at Substack for Maddie C, maybe celebrate it that way. So, um not going to do a big year end push thing, but I do have a fun show today. My friend Matt Berenson, who is an author and a fellow Substacker and a film producer, and an all-around great dude, and huge REM and Guided by Voices nerd, uh, is going to join me, and we're going to talk about uh, REM, because why wouldn't we? Because you always need an excuse to talk about REM, at least you do if you're a dad rock dude like me. Um, Matt published an article back in October where he uh, ranked REM's records from 15 to 1, and I knew I w- was going to have to get in on that. So I'm really excited to jump into this conversation, but let's uh, let's jump into a little bit of the housekeeping before I go into my intro and Matt, into Matt and uh, kind of set up our chat. So um, Christmas was good. It was, uh, it was a little weird. We had a little family drama. I won't get into it, um, but it was, everything's good, but it was a strange day itself, but I got to spend a lot of time with Kimmy and the girls and my mother, and um, yeah, it's been a it's been a good week. I got to see a lot of family and do some hanging out. It's been nice. Um, you've been listening to the radio shows WAIM Radio. What am I making radio on every Friday at Rock in the Suburbs Radio? Uh, you can go to radio, uh, excuse me, suburbsradio.com and check all of that out. You can also go over to the. Uh, the old what am I making the old website aru and uh, you can go over there and there's now a a special section called WAIM radio where I have archived every episode that is aired and the way that it works is an episode airs every Friday and then the following Tuesday it gets archived so you can listen every Friday at noon Eastern time live at suburbsradio.com if you don't catch that by Tuesday morning uh, East Coast time. That uh, that episode will be archived and available for you uh, on the WAIM radio section of whatamimaking.substack.com. Uh, also want to make sure that you're getting involved with the themes for each week. So what I'm doing is I send out before the episode airs, I send out a 
basically a call to action and I say, hey, what what do y'all think? What's your favorite song by a band from Scotland? What's your favorite song about a color? What's your favorite song about a place? You know, that kind of thing. And um, it's really fun and it generates a lot of discussion. And those have been some of our most uh, visited articles and some of the most uh, uh, kind of community. They've been a great way to build community is what I'm trying to say. And I would love for you to be a part of that. So if you have thoughts, I, I put that call out every week. It usually goes out on Thursday and then the show airs on Friday. So I'd love to hear from you. I'm even thinking about putting some of those selections and ideas that didn't make the show and making them their own show. So just because it doesn't get selected for one of the shows doesn't mean that it won't wind up being on a show later on. So keep sending these ideas in. want to make sure that you also know that uh, I'm going on a tour in in June. Shedio hits the road 2024. That's what we're calling it. I will basically be out in the eastern half of the United States throughout all of June 2024. Uh, if I'm going to be in your area, go over to the website. It's Matthew Car. Excuse me. It's phono4records.com slash Matthew Carlson. Head on over there and you can see an itinerary and a list of where I need hosts. And if I'm going to be anywhere near you, I'd love to have you come to a show. And if I don't have a place to play yet, I would love to work out a way to have a show with you at your place. Maybe it's your house. Maybe it's in your basement, your garage. It's on your patio. It's at a public space. It's at a business you own or a coffee shop a friend runs or whatever. A place where we can have 20 or 30 people come and hang out and they can throw a little money my way after the show and help me get down the road. It's a really wonderful experience. If you'd like to talk more about it, reach out. You can email me at whatamimakingblog at gmail.com. Or you can uh, leave me a voicemail at speakpipe.com slash what am I making. Um, have, you, uh, have you thought about sharing your 13 films to get to know me? Uh, this is a series that I've been doing. We're actually wrapping this up in our movie club right now. Um, where we have each put together, each of the five of us in my movie club, my family movie club, have put together a list of 13 films that kind of we think say something about define us i guess as as film goers and as people who love movies and so we each got to sort of formulate those based on our own definitions and then we talk about those and then each of us chooses one film from our list to share with the group and we watch that and we discuss it as part of film club and it's been a really interesting exercise because not only has it been a way for me to learn a lot about the people that are in my group but it's been a way for them to learn about themselves and for me to learn about myself and I've been sharing them here on the blog at whatamimaking.substack.com. And I would love it if you would share your 13 films. I can help you formulate it. I can help you put it together. I can help you write it even. I want to help you. I think this is a really interesting exercise. I think it's a great way to build community and to hear people's stories in sort of a simple and direct way. And in a way that we can all kind of understand and have some investment in, because largely we're going to be talking about movies that are important to us or that are important to others. I also published another piece this week that um, it's kind of a reaction to a couple of pieces that I had uh, back near the beginning of uh, December. Um, this new piece is called What Can I Do About Spotify? I, I really stirred something up. Uh, on December 1 when Spotify Wrapped had been announced a couple of days earlier. For those of you who don't know, Spotify Wrapped is where Spotify hands 
sort of these like uh, little gifts and videos and, and images to share with friends and family on social media uh, listeners' stats for the year. So it'll tell you what your favorite songs were, how many are you know how many hours you listened to, that kind of thing. And so what I did was I broke down my wife's data and said. This is an example of why artists are getting ripped off. And I wasn't upset with people who were listening to Spotify, but even though I was pretty clear that Spotify is the problem and not the primary consumer, um, or at least the primary consumer gets less of my ire, I should say, and a lot of people virtue signaled and got really upset and got really defensive. And then I published another piece just three days later and largely people virtue signaled again or didn't say anything, and then they were pretty much out. And I'll give a lot of credit to the people who have continued to have this conversation with me, and I think you know who you are. And there are a number of you. And and a number of people have asked, what can I do? You say it's a bad thing. You say it's awful. What, what can I as a consumer do? So what I do is I break down a handful of things in pretty serious detail that you can do, that you can do relatively easily and without spending a lot of money. And you don't have to do these things. But I sort of feel like I have to ask for, look, you. I can't do this all for you. I can't fix this problem without your help. And it's a problem. And I want us all to acknowledge that it's a problem. And once we acknowledge that it's a problem, then we all have to work to solve the problem. And we can disagree about what the solution is. But artists need to get paid more, plain and simple. And I come up with a series of ways for you to make that happen in the short term and in the long term. I hope you'll go read it. Again, I know I say it a million times, but the blog is whatamimaking.substack.com. Just search What Can I Do About Spotify or even just search Spotify and you can find the article. Please be sure to share it if you like it. Please be sure to let me know what, if anything, you do to change your behavior based on this work that I'm doing. If you don't change, why? I'd love to hear from you. So, what am I making? Blog at gmail.com or speakpipe.com slash what am I making? Leave me a voicemail. I uh, also want to make sure that you guys know that I've been doing some additional audio work that's been showing up in the podcast feed as well. Uh, for example, I just recently published an article uh, called Encyclopedia Carlson and the Bath School Disaster that I did an audio version of. This was a piece that I had published over the summer. And I went through and I did a sort of podcast version of it that's fully produced with music. And it even includes uh, some pieces of some original music that I'm doing that is on inspired by essentially the, the Bath Disaster and me working on this story. And so this has led to an ambient record project, maybe. I, I don't know, but I've included some of that work in the piece. And I've also done a bunch of of other articles recently over the course of the last week or two that have started to come out where they've come out with an embed of audio of me reading the piece as well as adding some music and some introduction and some context. Um, this does take some time to put together, but it's not insurmountable. And if it's a way for us to grow our audience in a way for you to more easily kind of absorb the information, I'd be interested in doing it, you know, on a semi-regular basis with the right material. So uh, if that's something you want to hear more or less of, I'd love to hear from you. Um, leave me a comment 
uh, on any of the articles or again, send me an email at what am I making blog at gmail.com. This show and this work are of course sponsored solely by your financial support. There are no ads here. Uh, I don't make any money off of uh, anything on Substack except for people who subscribe to me directly. And I want to leave this open for as many people as is humanly possible. And so I need some more people to to pick up a little bit of the slack. So if you've been listening for a while and you've been enjoying this or you've been reading the blog for a while and you get some value out of it, consider signing up for a paid subscription today for as little as $5 a month. Go to whatamimaking.substack.com. You can sign up for a monthly, a yearly, or even a very generous founding membership uh subscription. And that money will go right back to me and will help to allow me to spend time working on these projects that I've been working on now and other stuff that I kind of have in the hopper. Uh, Make sure you're liking, rating, and reviewing the pod wherever you listen. It's really easy. As I always say, you're in there right now. Just go do it. It's incredibly important. It really does make a difference in the number of, of, of eyeballs and ear holes we get in front of. I would also say that the more you can share this show and the stuff that I'm doing on the blog with people, the, the more it helps. It's amazing. Um, it really does take a village, and I, I would just ask that y- you share what you enjoy. It means a lot to me. Thank you very much. I really, really appreciate it. Now, let me get on to my guest, which is the whole freaking reason that you are here. Now, when Matt Berenson first published his ranking of all 15 albums in the R.E.M. canon, I felt just one more cosmic connection to him and his fandom for the most famous band from Athens, Georgia. I was thrilled to read Matt's piece and to see how the LPs all stacked up in his estimation. Furthermore, I began to wonder where I would differ when I put my list together, and what my ideals on the perfect REM record might be and where they might converge from Matt's. I accepted my own challenge, and I was off. Throughout November and December, I published my own list, ranking them 15 to 1 with detailed notes on each album and why it finds itself in that particular spot. The project was truly challenging, but what a joy to work on. I was able to revisit albums in the catalog that I hadn't spun in full for a few years. I was also given the chance to reassess the latter records of the band's career, which I had largely dismissed when they were released. Matt and I got to talk together in the quiet days between Christmas and New Year's to review our lists and to see where we lined up or diverged. Much of the subtle differences in our lists can be found in the time frame at which we were first introduced to the band. Somehow, while breaking down the R.E.M. catalog in detailed fashion, Matt manages to tell me about the rare opportunity he had to see British band The Laws at Tower Records in Los Angeles on their lone tour back in the early 90s. There's also a healthy section on an indie classic by The Wedding Present and a thorough assessment of Morrissey's early solo career. In talking about how supremely terrific R.E.M. were at covering the work of other artists, I challenged Matt to a collaborative playlist project. Each of us selected six songs featuring the band playing a tune written by another artist. We went at this draft pick style. The result is a pretty badass 12-song playlist of the band's best cover versions. 
You can hear the playlist in the show notes or over on the full article at the blog at whatamimaking.substack.com. Here now is my conversation about the marvelous catalog of REM records with me and my buddy, Matt Berenson. Matty C and Matty B talking REM. Here we go, gang. list in front of you i i can get my list in front of me i mean i, I have it pulled up here we go yeah i've I got did, it i got it i didn't know if like if you were going to have it at the ready i just wanted to make sure we were all ready to go before we got started so oh yeah no i'm um, I, I do have it pulled up so i am yeah and i and i, and I have reread it uh and was surprised to see i actually forgot that i well we'll get into this but i forgot <laughs> the ranked automatic for the people first uh, i thought you and i had both picked life's rich pageant and then i'm like oh I, how did I forget that? Did uh, you have you had pageant two? Is that what happened? Yeah, pageant is two, okay. and and on any given day, you know, I could flip the order. You oh, know, I could I, I could make the argument either way. <laughs> I could, and we'll we'll talk about it. But I could I could switch stuff around so much. Um, yes. So sure. I guess the first question I have about this is, what possessed you to finally do this? Like when you sat down to do it for your Substack, like what was the initial impetus for the exercise? That's a good question. I don't remember for sure, um, except that when I had the idea to do it, I was like, okay, this is maybe kind of going to be a lot of work, but it'll be so fun to do. I don't care. <laughs> um, and maybe, you know, I'll just do a paragraph or two at most, you know, on each record. So I don't, um, you know, spend an entire day on it, but, um, yeah, I, I don't, you know, I had done some other lists of, you know, the best albums by bands from Wales or, you know, I had done other kind of, but I hadn't done, there aren't that many bands that have more than 10 albums. You know what I mean? So it's kind right. of um, uh, cool. You know, I think part of it was just realizing, wow, REM really has a lot of records and now I have enough time and distance from all of them that I can actually, you know, decide where I come out on all these in some kind of order. Just, just, you know, just for fun. <laughs> well, it's, I mean, that's the, that's the thing, right? Like it is, these exercises I think are really interesting and they are ultimately just for fun. So it's not yeah. like, it's not like you're trying to say, you're not trying to definitively like create a list or, or some kind of like thing for the Pantheon or the Epoch that's going to be like, here are the five best REM records. It's like, here's <laughs> how I feel right now. And, and Largely, I think what we find interesting as readers and as fans is what does that say about you as an REM fan or as a music listener? What does it say about me? Yep. Yep, absolutely. It's, um, you know, I feel like I've spent a lifetime listening to this band. I mean, it is it is 40 years now, which is which is wild. Um, and obviously they've they've been broken up for 10 or, or something. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it's you know, it's one. And there's certainly like, you know, our generation's band, you know, or one of them. Uh, um, yeah. And so sure. in that sense, there's such a generational band, you know, for Gen X, they're like really a, a, one of the really major Gen X bands oh, and sure. um, critically and commercially really. And um, 
so it's it's just kind of fun to 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 look back and and think about it and try to decide you know which one you like more than others and why and yeah and it and it helps you um understand even your own taste uh more sometimes or where it is now at least yeah and and how it's evolved both in terms of the way that you've absorbed that band in real time and also how that shaped you for how you were going to look at their early stuff later on i know that's a sort of weird like time machine turducken i just did there yeah yeah follow me Yes, I oh, I definitely do. And that's one of the challenges when you're creating a list like this is trying to separate out your affection for an album because it was the album that came out when you were dating that girl or when, you know, you your first year of college, what was the one that came out or and and trying to really just take a step back and go, no, really, like, which one do I actually like the most now or what do I think is the best, quote unquote, um, or the, you know, top five best um, in the fullness of time, trying to take my own uh experience your emotional kind of soundtrack of your life stuff out of the equation or at least i try to because i'm trying to kind of make it a list that you know a 25 year old could look at who was what you know wasn't even listening to rem when their last record came out right um or maybe they were i guess they would have been 15 so uh uh whatever you know what i mean like a a, you know a 16 year old now who's maybe never even heard an rem record if they were to see this list um, you know, I, I'm, I kind of tried to create it for them a little bit, um, so that it was as much as possible trying not to just be a reflection of, um, my personal experience. Obviously there's no way to take personal preference right. out of it, I, you know, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's like, yeah. And it's, and it's interesting my 20 year old son, uh, REM has become his favorite band over the last three or four years. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Uh, much to my surprise in a way. Uh, um, and yet, and yet not, I'm not surprised that they're a band that holds up. Um, but, uh, you know, I haven't even actually meant to ask him before this, uh, what his top 10 are, you know, I don't know. He doesn't know all their albums yet as well as I do certainly, but he's, you know, he knows a lot of them well now. Well, and in doing this research, I realized there were, there were a couple of these that I didn't really know very well at all. Oh, interesting. I just didn't listen to them when they came out. There are a couple of those those later records where I had kind of checked out and I went, I'm not hearing anything I dig. And I kind of moved on. Um, I so, hear you. so where, where did you start? I mean, that I think our 15 through 11, I think are virtually the same with a couple of interchangeable things, but I mean, it's the same five records, I think. Yes. I, I, I think, I think that's right. And, um, you know, in some ways it's easier to pick the bottom five than the top five, right? <laughs> okay. I did this uh, in reverse order. You did this all in one thing. I did it in three chunks. Yes. And I did mine uh, 15 to 11, 10 to six and five to one. And they progressively got more difficult to write and to decide and not just to put them in order, but then to go down and try to eloquently in three or four paragraphs kind of go, this is why this is here. Right. Yes. You know, like that was challenging because it was, you want to, you don't want to drone on for four pages about, you know, (laughs) 
Peter Buck's guitar tone or something like when you're talking about reckoning or whatever. But at the same time, you're like, I have to, in a way, kind of go, here's why this is elevated to me above these other records. Yeah, that, that was an interesting exercise as a fan. Yeah. And I, I guess I tried to do that a little bit, although because I ranked from best to worst and I'm not sure why I decided to do it that way. Um, it's almost like as I got to the bottom of the list, I felt like I had to justify why, why the bottom five weren't as good as the other 10, <laughs> you know, what, what, why the Bill Berry records by and large are better than the non Bill Berry records right. with I, like one, one again, exception. Uh, yeah. By and large. Um, yeah. So you're, you're 15 to 11 basically are around the sun reveal, accelerate, collapse into now and out of time in some various order. Yes. Yes. And I was very interested to see just to jump right in. Obviously we can talk about this in any order. Oh yeah. We can jump right you in. Like, yeah. That you like collapse into now more than accelerate. Um, yeah. I think well, as a full record, I think I do. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, you know, uh, hard to argue about the ones in the bottom five in terms of you're crazy accelerate so right. much better than, 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 uh, um, collapse into now. I, I, I think they're close. You know, it's not, it's not obvious to me that one is better than the other. I just, what was exciting to me about accelerate when it came out is, is it was the first one that Jack, Jack Knifley produced for them. And it kind of brought back their rock sound. And so it was just fun to hear like an REM rock record again, you know, with like, uh, you know, uh, it's a little bit like a JV version of, of monster. Yeah. That's interesting. That's you know, interesting. So and it's, it's also, bit, it's a little bit more, it's like, it's not as rocking. It's, it's the songs are nowhere near as good. Yeah. Yeah. Look, there's, there's only there's, well, there's maybe more than one for sure. My favorite song on that record is supernatural, super serious. Oh, without question. Like that song is, I, I think in my piece, I even mentioned that like in the last 10 years as a band, that might be the best song they did. Yes. Yeah. It's yeah. I, in fact, I I'm looking at mine and it says that it's yeah one of their three best 21st century songs. So, you know, that's the, um, complete knockout on the record. song Houston which I singled out as the worst song on the record like most of the other songs I like I enjoy so it was an album when it came out that I really enjoyed it more or less front to back and and there are other ones I you know I, I like a lot but Supernatural Super Serious you know is is the standout um you know I kind of felt like I'm sorry Matt I didn't mean to jump on yeah. you no, um no. I kind of felt like it was one of those records where I was like wow there are three or four really great like like it felt like there's a third of a terrific REM record here. Yeah. And, the rest, and then the rest of it was like, Oh, this is, this is the same AOR bullshit. They've been peddling me before, but, <laughs> but a little bit better. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And that's, so that's probably, I think probably right. that was my attitude at the time. And again, this is one of those records I didn't like live inside for a really long time. Cause I didn't love it. So I listened to it a few times and I went, okay, those are the songs I'm going to put on mixtapes or whatever. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, so like, OK, so talk to me about your relationship with because uh, I know I know that the uh, when Netflix first started, 
uh, I don't know if you remember, but there used to be the uh, the idea that the Rosetta Stone for your algorithm was how you rated Napoleon Dynamite. Oh, I don't remember right? that. Like that was a, that was a joke that kind of an urban legend that went around was like if you loved Napoleon Dynamite, if you liked Napoleon, because it used to be like like it, love it, you know, hate it or something. You had like three or four options instead of just thumbs up or thumbs down. Yep. And I kind of feel like out of time is a little bit like that for the REM algorithm. I feel you, like that. I feel like that's the record where you dip in and you go, just tell me what you think about this record and you just wait. And that's going to tell you the kind of REM fan you're going to get. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because I was such a huge fan still by the time that record came out, even though green was the first record for me, that was a dip in quality. Like I like their first five albums more than mm -hmm. green. So, and, and in some ways, you know, I could make the argument that out of time is, is, is better than green, even though I didn't on my list, I, I put green um, three albums ahead of, of out of time. And I guess, so I think the reason, reason why it's a record that um that's a bit of a litmus test is half of it is so great it's like better than the best half of green maybe probably but there then there's a couple of songs that are just so you know like i do not want to hear krs1 rap on an no. rem you know i can't listen to shiny happy people even though the guitar uh, lick is great on that song. It's just, it's the lyrics that, that, you know, they're, which is rare, you know, Michael Stipe's lyrics are normally so great. And I just, you know, and of course I think he's making fun of people like that, but it's, ugh, the duet with B-52s and the kind of, you know, and I love B-52s. It's so, it's so saccharine. And, yes. and the, prob the problem was that even if that is satire, that wasn't how it was, absorbed into the culture no and the music video really does look like oh we're just having a great time we're you know b-52s and rem we're shiny happy people and it's just like oh yeah it was what? it was a real disappointment and yet like you say half of that record is just so damn brilliant yeah like yeah i mean you know, you the, know mostly the second uh, half country feedback and near wild heaven and uh, yeah. me and honey texarkana oh and he, i'd like I even love some of the stuff that like is kind of like some of that stipe like talky stuff. Like I don't love low, but like if that were the worst thing on the record, I'd be yeah. totally fine with that. Fast and slow. Moving in still frame. Howling at the moon. Morning found me laughing. Me no, too. Me um, too. You know, I don't need I don't need Endgame. Like, I don't know yep. why they're throwing in instrumental fluff that sounds like it's from a Hallmark movie. Like, what, I know what, it's what, like finish the record, just write another song. Yeah. If you don't have enough songs, then just wait another two months until you do. <laughs> and so, yeah. like, and, and for me, like you say, uh, I hadn't been on the train as long, but like, I discovered that band not too long after Document came out was when I was I like when I really kind of bought in I was 15 ah, uh -huh. I was 15 and uh and I 
I found them by seeing the one I love video. Yep. And um, it was just, and like, I don't know, two days later, I went out and bought uh, eponymous, the, oh. uh, the sort of best of the IRS years. Yeah. And absorbed that and then basically went and bought them in reverse order and had them all by the time green came out. Ah, nice. So, yeah. So that, that explains my perhaps uh, over affection for green, which we can discuss later. Sure. Um, by the I, way, and oh, now I, I didn't know our age difference, but I do have a few years on you. And I, so I was 16 when Reckoning came out, and that was the first one I got oh. into. And yeah. and so, like, you know, I wasn't on board from the very, very beginning. It's not like I had the Chronic Town EP when it right. came out. But and you were even there Murmur, within a couple of years. Yeah, I had heard Radio Free Europe. That was the first R.E.M. song I heard. Uh, um, and I think the first R.E.M. song, like almost everyone my age heard, it was just, you know, on the alternative rock radio stations. Right. Um, and but I didn't buy the album. I liked the song, but I kind of wasn't sure, you know, and which seems crazy now. But right. uh, then, then when I heard uh, South Central Rain, you know, I was just like, Oh wow! Like this isn't just good. This is great. I have to buy this record. And uh, you know, back back when you you know had to save your money to buy a record, where you couldn't just go out and right and you buy had to make you, wanted, a, so you was, had to yeah. make a choice on pretty limited information. Yes, you know, maybe you'd heard a song or two. Maybe you'd read a couple of reviews or a friend had recommended it. Maybe you were lucky enough that a friend had it and you could hear a copy before you went yeah. on yours. You know, but like yep. it was a lot of. I mean, I was just telling a story today uh, to a friend who posted a song by, uh, do you know the English band, The Wedding Present? Yes. Yeah, and so he published, he, he posted a song on Facebook from their record, George Best, and I said, I remember buying this at Flat Black and Circular in East Lansing in like 1988, and I bought it solely because I'd read a review in New Music Express that was from like a few weeks earlier that was just laying around the store, and I like grabbed it, and I went and had my lunch, and then I went back up to the shop, to go buy some records. And I went, you know what? I'm going to get that. They have it. It's like $8. Yeah. This sounds really good. I've loved that record for 35 years. So, so this is a, a fun sidebar actually, because oddly I went through a phase. I want to say it was 88, 89, 90 and 91, where I was listening to American bands so much more than the UK stuff that I, that like, I completely missed Wedding Present, House of Love, uh, um, all the shoegaze happy, stuff, ha Happy Mondays, a lot of the shoegaze stuff. Like I just wasn't interested. And I've only even going back, the only I uh, probably my favorite. Well, I did buy the Laws record when it came out in 1990, and I loved that and saw that them song live. Was everywhere. That song was everywhere, but. It's weird. It almost was everywhere more after it was used in a movie. Yeah, and when it was so used in for 19... uh, So I Married an Axe Murderer. Oh, that's right. Which, oddly enough, uh, is not even the Laws version. That is a Boo Radley's cover. Oh, my God. You're right. Yeah. Oh, God, I love the Boo Radley's. Um, I do, too. <laughs> so I love all the um, 90s UK bands. I mean, like so many of them, probably, you know, 
80% of the UK bands that anyone's ever heard of, I'm a fan of. Like, it's it's crazy how many of those bands. I think that was the last great decade of UK music. But, um, uh, you know, there was kind of like a late 80s, early 90s period where that Laws record was maybe the only album out of the UK that I really loved. Um, and then I saw them at a Tower Records on Sunset in-store. Most oh people God. never saw Laws live because they only toured once, right. you know? And I was very lucky. Um, I saw them live at Tower Records and smoked a doobie with them in the stockroom afterwards. That is amazing. How was the show? And I still have the T-shirt. I got them to autograph the T-shirt. It was incredible. The show was fantastic, actually. They were so, so good. You felt like you were seeing the Beatles in 1963. It was, you know, it was so weird. I mean, crazy, crazy talented. So talented that the band cast spun off from that band after Lee Mavers retired or stopped writing songs or, you know, became, you know, descended into drug addiction, which he since recovered from. But yeah, I mean, you know, even the first cast album was good and it didn't even have the same songwriter or vocalist. Right. <laughs> I mean, you know, right. that's how good they were and and you know, it's they're they're just one of those great bands that should have been that instead makes my list of best artists ever that only ever made one album. Um they're they're top, you know, 5 for that for me for sure. Um, um and uh how does that shake out in the secret stardom category when you only make one record? Uh, uh, it, it, it doesn't in the sense, if you only make one record, first of all, most of the people who only made one record where the record is truly great. People actually know the record, the sex pistols record or the Lauren Hill record, or, you know, even the laws record. I think a lot of people do know now over time, uh, partly because of the song and partly because people talk about it as one of the best albums by an artist that only made one record. Um, And uh, yeah, so it's not, you know, there aren't that many secrets like that. There, there are a few for sure. Um, You know, great artists only made one record who like almost nobody's heard of. Uh, God, I'd have to think about who my favorite of those is, but, but uh, let me just circle back to the wedding present for a second. If you love George best when it came out, which I didn't because I didn't have it. I didn't hear it. Yeah. I discovered George best because 20 years later they re-recorded it. Have you heard the re-record of George best? It sounds so much bigger. I like it better than the original record. I have not. I know that it's a thing and I just didn't, I'll be honest with you. I knew it was a thing and it was like, and it was at a time where again, I'd kind of moved out of that world and I went, Oh, that's kind of cool they did that. And then I just never went back to it. I'm gonna well, have to look, I'm gonna have to look this up now. Yeah, it's it's available I, for streaming. I think it's called George Best 20 or something. I'm okay. looking it up right now. Um it's really, you know, if you were a big fan of that record at the time, I'd be very curious what you think of how they the 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 production and there's just like a bigger drum sound on it, and it makes well, there it would, yeah, there it's, it's actually sorry, it's a 30th. And 30th anniversary? Yeah, George Best 30. Yeah, and it's like like, 2018. uh, Yeah, yes. So um it's funny, it's actually it's 2017, but I don't know if George Best came out in No, I think uh, it came out in 87. That sounds right. 87. Okay. So so anyway, um yeah, so it's the 30th anniversary. You know, these guys are in their 50s or whatever when they're recording the 30th anniversary version of that record, and I love it. 
and it's I totally uh, love it. and it's uh, sometimes cringingly very much a record written by a young man. Yeah, uh, yes. And some of David Gedroit's great melodies and sometimes really, really troubling lyrics. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, I think that that he might does not be. have the healthiest relationship with women, and sometimes it's a little difficult to listen to his unreliable narrators. Yeah, 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 exactly. No, it's amazing when you, you know, go back and hear bands, frankly, from, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s. There's oh, yeah. a lot of, you know, Elvis Costello, who's, you know, one of my all-time favorites. There's a lot of women hating on his early records. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of, um, at the at the very least, a lot of finger pointing, we'll say. Yeah, um, yes. I don't get yeah. the impression, I don't get the impression that uh, he thinks that he's the one who's wronged Allison, for example. <laughs> I think it works the other way around in his mind. Yes. Um. Yeah. To get back to REM, let me run through my 10 to 6, and then we'll see how these shake up, because I think this is where it gets different. Sure. But 10, I have up. What do you have? Let's see. At 10, I have, oddly, if you can believe it, I didn't number mine. So I'm going from the bottom. Hang on. 15, 14, 13, 12, 11. Uh, my number 10 is Accelerate. Okay. And then I have Monster. Uh, I have Green at number nine. Okay. I have Green at eight. And oh, and I have Monster at, at seven. And then I have New Adventures in High Fi at seven. And I have Document at six. Okay, I've got so fables. Wait, let's see. I've got, hang on a sec, uh, 10, 9, 8. So yeah, Monster 8, Fables 7, which is controversial, I know. It's even like, uh, I'm pretty confident if I did the list today, it would be like 6 instead of 7 or 5 even, maybe. Um, and, uh, and the New Adventures in Hi-Fi. Oh, wait, uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, New Adventures in Hi-Fi is number 6 for me. And one more time, Matt, what were your 10 and 9, just so I can have them in front of me? Oh, sure. Uh, let's see. 10 and 9 are Accelerate and Green. Thank you, sir. And then 8 is Monsters, yep. 7 Fables, and uh, 6 New Adventures. Beautiful. And we could definitely, you're not going to get a fight from me if you want to argue, you know, uh, that I've wildly. No, what's really interesting here is we have a couple of differences that I think are largely generational things like me putting green uh you know in the eight spot and then putting monster at nine that's that that is as much about when i fell in love with monster or, or green and, yep. and it also has to do as as much with and i talked about this in the piece that so much of that record kind of hints at what's going to blow up in just a couple of years and that they are kind of building to the great things about out of time. Like, like I think you could easily see that if they had made green six months later and losing my religion were on that record, it would have made sense. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. No, there were, he was doing a lot of uh, what, what is it? A mandolin, like the mandolin comes in mm -hmm. on green and then, and then blossoms on uh and I time. would say in both cases, uh, it gets overused. Yes. Um, yes. It's overused great, it, Mando is one of the problems in a weird way with both of those records mm -hmm. over time. Like yes. when you look back on them later now, it's like, oh boy, Peter Buck got super into the mandolin and just could right. not put that thing down. Um, you know, obviously it's 
on losing my religion. It's one of the things that's so original and special about that song. Right. And, and, I, and I love it on some of these other, you know, songs as well, but it's, yeah, it was just, you know, too much Mando. <laughs> uh, and there's, and there's great moments on, on green with the Mando that are, that are beautiful. I mean, uh, world leader pretend is love it. Stunningly beautiful. That yeah. song is just, you are the everything is just, gorgeous yeah. that's, an, that's another song that i think could easily like that could swap places with a track like say uh drive for example um yeah you know you could swap spots on those with those records and you know put yep. one on automatic and one on green and i don't think they would seem all that out of place here's a scene you're in the backseat laying down the windows Yeah, no, I, I I know what you're saying for sure. Um, um, I also thought it was kind of a baller move to basically make like this kind of like bubblegummy first half of your record with stand and uh, you know, um, oh shit, what's the other one? Uh, you know, uh, turn you inside out and uh, pop song '89 and like all these like sort of like kind of bouncy rockers, and then the second half is like this acoustic dirge. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. Hair suit. <laughs> like, you know, yeah, it's that, not even that I don't like that song. And then, you know, but it's like, yeah, I don't know. I remember California, you know, is, uh, yeah. and the wrong child. And yeah, that, yeah. that little triptych or whatever it is. I don't remember how those songs will sit on the side, but I, I've never been excited about the second side of that record. Yeah, yeah, it's you know the, the hidden track maybe the best song on the second side of that record unless unless by the way world leader pretend starts off the second side of that record or I want to say turn you inside out. Oh, you're right. I think you're right. I think you're right. Record. Um yep. Yep. but I think world leader pretend is on side 2. Yeah. Um and then and for me basically green and monster could be interchangeable for completely different reasons. Um I I just I st I think in retrospect now I enjoy listening to Monster more now than I did six months after it came out. Yeah, look, I think that's the reason why when I was doing the list, I moved it, I moved it around a little on the list while I was doing it, and I kind of it ended up. You know, if if anything, it would be sort of number seven or eight. I think I have it at eight and it would be it would be like, if anything, it would be higher in the sense that over time, I just appreciate more and more. There's like a real there's great singles. There's a great variety to the songwriting, you right. know, as I 
talk about in you know in 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 my list it's sort of there's some glam rock songs there are good ballads there's you know the like fuzz of the last chunk of the record which is so good i think um you know but when i first heard it i didn't necessarily love it you know circus envy was not my favorite rem song when i first heard it but now i really appreciate it um no and then i i've always i think the song that blew me because obviously what's the frequency is it's a fucking jam it's like it's, it's just so an good undeniably great rock song yeah i mean it's one of their last like total classic rem songs that's right up there with any of their best rock songs uh, you know yeah I mean, I mean that is that is on par with the best of the best like that's on par with like radio for europe and can't get there from here and yeah yeah like yeah like that that level that level stuff um you know like and so fun live a lot um, yeah. I, i'll be well i saw that tour th- four times oh wow yeah i saw that tour four times um it's a little by the time i got to the last one i was like all right i'm, I'm kind of done for a minute yeah i should have only gone three times <laughs> to this to this um, show yeah. and uh and and i think I look back on it and like I, when I was researching this map, mm-hmm. I was listening to monster here in the shedio and like practically just got up and danced around to what's the frequency. Like it's that good. Like it, it just, is just snags you and like it's an electrical charge. <laughs> other song that has always blown me away on that record is um let me in yeah that let, song let is in. a heartbreaker it, it's it's amazing and it's it was for was it for kurt cobain that he mm-hmm. that, yeah and um i had only ever heard the original album version until this 25th anniversary uh version came out in 2019 I want to say. Okay. And there's a remix of it that's great. There's the an original version you can hear like there's there's never been a bad version of that song and it's worth hearing the different versions to see like it it's so interesting how they settled on the final version which I think the album version I don't know that it's the best, uh, uh, but it's if you love that song, you got to hear the other versions. I They're actually worth- really love the most recent remix and remaster of that record. Yeah, right. I prefer it. I it's one of the few records where I have two different versions of the vinyl. I'm usually uh, not kind of a collector or a purist in any way about that stuff. I'm usually like, I just need one to listen to. That's in good yeah. shape. Um, but I actually have two of them for that that reason. Um, yep. I. Let's talk about hi-fi because if this, if there's a record on here, if there's a record on here that I keep coming back to and just going, how do I keep forgetting how brilliant this is? It's, this yeah. 
And and it's look it um, the worst. So let me start with what I think the worst thing is about that record. And I don't know if I actually said this in my write up. Actually, I'm, I maybe didn't, um, which is a lot of albums in the mid 90s suffered from the, you know, the album was like, you know, 55 or 60 minutes long when we all know the best rock records are 40 to 45 minutes long. <laughs> they just are. Um, um, it's it's but, rare that the best records don't fit on one side of a cassette tape. Yeah. And it's just like new adventures in hi-fi is too long. It has one too many songs on it. And some of the songs themselves are too long, not many, but, but, but a few. And, and by the way, leave is not among them. I love how long leave is and how weird and awesome and amazing and original that song is. So that's the worst thing I can say about the record. Right. What's amazing about the record. And it sounds like we feel exactly the same way about it is like, you know, it has, three or four of my, you know, 20 favorite REM songs on it. It's just the highs on the record are so high. And so what are, different. what are a couple of the real standouts for you? On this I, uh, Ebo, the letter to me is just like, it's moving. I'm moved every time I hear that song, the, 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 the way that he used Patty Smith in it, the words, the, you know, the aluminum tastes like fear thing. The, the writing is just incredible. And then melodically, and it's just, you know, Peter Buck doing his like wonderful acoustic thing. I mean, it just sounds like REM and yet it doesn't sound like any other song of theirs. I have no idea what Ebo the letter means, by the way, I've never even looked, I've never even like looked on Reddit. Like what well, does Ebo the letter mean? I know what an Ebo is. An Ebo. I know what an, okay. yes. Yeah. I do know what an Ebo is, but I don't know what Ebo the letter refers to. Um, I don't have any idea. I don't yeah, know. I think it's probably me, like a Ringo like malapropism would be my yeah, assumption. Yes, totally. Um, it's gotta be some inside joke he has with Patty Smith or something. Yeah. And then and then leave. You know, a lot of people, if you played your average person who's not an REM fan, let's just say young person again, or like, you know, if you just played a 16-year-old leave, they'd be like, what the hell is that noise that that's just repeating through the song now? Wow, 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 you know. But it completely makes the song. I don't know how they had the guts to to do that, to record that song that way and mix that thing so kind of high in the mix and have the song be so long and just be like, nope, that's the song. Like, that's what it should sound like. I mean, what other band would do that? It, that song is crazy, but it's amazing. It's incredible. Yeah. Um, and... Uh... I I described this in the in the piece as a road movie of a record. Yeah, sure. This, this feels to me like kind of like it's kind of funny that he mentions all of this stuff from like sort of the like Hollywood of the like like the new Hollywood of the American 70s, right? Yep. Like he's he's talking about Steve McQueen and and Jimmy Dean and Charlie Sheen. Obviously, Jimmy Dean's a Mulholland Drive, which you is, know, uh, I, yeah. And I and live he, just off Mulholland Drive, so of course I love the song. Right. Yeah. And uh, and so he's talking about all of this stuff, and the record was kind of recorded piecemeal in different studios as demos and stuff, and then built out later and uh, and finished, but largely recorded on the road a lot during sound checks and things like that. Yes. And, and I love that combination it. of studio and sound check songs. It just makes it such an interesting listen. It, well, I think it adds more kind of life and energy to it. 
Yeah. It's not this thing that's been overcooked. Yes. It's, you know, it's been, it's, it's, it's allowed to breathe a little bit. And, um, uh, two of the songs on the record that wreck me are a couple of the quieter numbers. Um, I don't know if there's another REM song that makes me as emotional as Be Mine does. Just there's something about the story of that song, the simplicity of it, the directness of his vocal, um, the way that he kind of communicates in a way that is kind of anti-stipe, where it's almost really intimate, really direct, and really obvious. By the way, that's sort of proof proof of the greatness of the record. I think I reference eight songs in my write-up of that record and Be mm-hmm. Mine wasn't even one of them. And it's not like I don't, I, I do like that song a lot, Yeah, you know? Um, uh, and I, it is it, so, so it's just amazing. Like it's one of those albums that has 10 songs that could be anyone's favorite song, you know? Yeah. Uh, the um, other one that just kills me is New Test Leper. Yeah. Oh yeah. The lyrics in that song are so goddamn good. Yep. They're so, so beautiful. God, um, that's an, that's, I'm looking at the songs I, I referenced in the right, and I, and I didn't reference New Test Leper either. I love that song. I, I just, it's such a great record. Like, and I'm looking at this and going, how are there six records by the same band that are, that, that Matt says are better than this? Well, well by the way, and anyway, uh, what, where is it for you? Um, I had it number seven. And you had number, it number seven, six. yeah. And I've I've got it at six. And yeah, I, like I could sit here and with a straight face go, that's the third or fourth best record that band's got. Like I sit sure. there and I, I honestly I I truly believe if that record had been made ten years earlier, it'd be in my top three. Okay, but it has well, everything. Here's... It has everything to do. I think its placement on my list has everything to do with when I heard it and where I was as an REM fan, not with the true value of the record. And right. I just can't extricate the two, I don't think. So in my final version of the album, sort of that I created for myself after the deluxe edition came out, and now we're now we're really nerding out here. I mean, yeah. we're, we're, we're getting into it. Um, the songs I deleted, because I just didn't feel like I ever needed to hear them again, and one of them's an, an instrumental, but like the song I think they should have removed from the record for runtime um, was track four undertow okay. that's you, you know and but then the other two you know uh zither and low desert so if you take those songs off the record and then from the deluxe edition you take their um 
cover of Richard Thompson's uh, Wall of Death, Richard and Linda Thompson's Wall of Death. Oh, I'm intimately familiar. I have a story. Which I think is one of the best covers of all time. Like, Agreed. I mean, they do so many of my favorite covers. Of I mean, they're, they're my favorite cover band, actually, R.E.M. I think uh, I wrote a whole separate substack about that. Yeah, I I had to choose. I just did a I just prepped a show that's going to air in January for my radio show. Yep. <laughs> and and the theme was my favorite covers basically. And it was essentially like, okay, part 1 because there's no way there's only 12 of them. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, okay, which which REM song am I going to put on this one cuz I probably just put one. So I just went with the obligatory Superman. But uh Yeah, exactly. Superman's um, amazing. And we'll get to that when we get we'll to get, there. We'll we get, get to, to Life um, Yes. But um, I I think if there's I guess if there's one thing I hope that people listen to this and and pull out of it is go back and listen to New Adventures in a High Five if you haven't in yep. a while. The last Bill Berry record. And you know, um uh, I, 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 I do think it's even better than monster as much as I like that Bill Berry record that came right before it. And that sold, I, a lot, sold a lot. I more agree wholeheartedly, Matt. I really yeah. do. Yeah. Um, yeah. Good okay. stuff. Hey, let's, uh, let's parse this out. I'm going to try to do this in the best way that I can. So let's, let's bounce these off this way. Cause we're going to wind up talking about the rest of these records and we'll just, I'll run through my five. Sure. You tell me where you've got, each one of them and then we'll talk about the record and that's how we'll 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 do the home stretch does that sound good sure sounds good right. so at number five i've got fables of the reconstruction my notes say you had that at seven yes which you know there's just no question and we can talk now about why i underrated fables and i even said i was underrating it i am like the only hardcore rem fan who doesn't love the song feeling gravity's gravity's pull it's just it's like I admire it more than I like it. You know, it's one of those REM songs I just never love. the first song on that album and i have a pet peeve about like when i like every other song on an album more than the first song i just it just fritzes out my brain of like why they opened the record with that even though i kind of get it because it's different than anything on their first two records um however uh that's why i have that at number seven but i a completely valid choice uh, at number five on any given day. It could be my number five. And, or and again, I, you know, mostly this is an excuse to just talk about how brilliant these records are. Yes. Right. <laughs> um, but for me going back, looking at it, I was kind of I, I, sort of the, the, the through line of, of my summation of this record was they left America to make the most American record they made. I love that. I, and, I love that because it is the ultimate REM record. It's the ultimate like Southern sounding REM it, record. It's the most Gothic. It's the darkest record they made. Like even, yep. even a record like up, which is this weird, like, which we didn't really talk about. And I do yeah. like, um, I really like it too. Yeah. And again, way too long. Like, yes. Way, way like, too way, long. Like 20 minutes too long. Yes. Um, But, it, but some real gold on that record. Tons. Yeah. But, I, I just feel like 
even that record, which has kind of got this sort of like dystopian was produced by the guy that did okay. Computer by Radiohead. Like it's got a lot of that sort of same electronic affectation to it. Yep. Even that record feels warmer than fables. Yeah. Fables has some warm songs on it. I think of like Wendell G and like, there's a few, but, but I know what you mean. There's like a, there's a slightly, it's just a slightly chillier version of the band. And what I didn't know until recently when I interviewed Joe Boyd for my book for my, cause he produced um, two of the artists I wrote about in, in secret stars. Uh, He produced Nick Drake uh, and he produced uh, Robin Hitchcock, uh, an obscure Robin Hitchcock album. I'd and I couldn't help myself with Robin Hitchcock. Yeah, he he, he did an, uh, an album called The Man Upstairs that was half covers, half originals with Robin. Right. And uh, they toured together and did this fun kind of show together where Joe read from his book and Robin played songs. And it was this kind of uh, cool thing. But, uh, you know, I, I was so excited to get to interview Joe, who's such a legendary guy. And of course, there was no way I wasn't going to go off topic with him and just say, so what was it like to work with R.E.M.? And I didn't realize that, like, uh, he and the band did not get along that well. It was not, no. it was like REM did not enjoy making that record. It was hard. It was hard work. Joe, I guess, is a perfectionist and likes to take a lot of time and do a lot of takes. And REM just hadn't done that on their first two records. They made both their first two albums really quickly. Um, and that's part of what's so great about those records. And this one is much more considered and exacting and kind of, and the band just did not, you know, really, you know, I guess, uh, did not enjoy that process, but boy, you can't argue with the results. So much of it is. And so they good. wanted to be, they wanted to go someplace else. And so they had kind of talked about my understanding is they talked about a bunch of different producers and it yes. was, and it was Buck that had kind of sold Joe Boyd. Largely, yes. largely because of the Nick Drake and the Fairport yes. Convention connection. Yep. And and so they went and they they made this record and and they they got to London in like early February. And they were there from yes. February to April. And Buck's estimation of the sessions were that it rained every day; it wasn't snowing. That yeah. was, that's one of the quotes that that I read when I did the research for the piece. It's so great. So I think they were just cold and miserable yeah. and. and- you know, uh, and they not, were using this having... drafty old studio, I guess. And like you said, Boyd was a taskmaster. And when they'd worked with like, yep. you know, Mitch Easter and Don Dixon, like it was just like, oh yeah, just move the mic over here, just do it. Just yeah, do it. and and you're you in North make a Carolina weird noise in, for yeah. you know for we walk, go for it, do it. Um, you know, so I yeah, it was like good weather, good food to bad weather, bad food. You know, recording songs quickly to recording songs slowly. You know, I can I get it. I think it was just a jarring experience for them, and and you know, one of the many reasons. And again, we'll get there. But I think life's rich pageant. They really thought long and hard about how and where and with whom they wanted to make that record. And and, uh, and it's interesting because yeah. they didn't, they didn't work with that guy again either, but it was an incredibly positive experience. Yeah. I don't know why they never yeah. made another record. Um, like maybe he was expensive because he was doing the John Mellencamp stuff. Yeah. too. And he was probably and maybe just, he was just super busy. Yep. Um, super busy. And, and I'm sure not, you know, not cheap. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. This is where I get controversial because this is going to, I'm going to take shift for ranking this too low. Uh-huh. Uh, number four, I've got automatic for the people. Yeah. You know, look, it's, 
It's interesting because even though I had forgotten, even I thought Life Search Pageant was what I had chosen as my number one, and I actually chose Automatic for the people. They're kind of interchangeable for me. I could move Automatic around anywhere from one to three. I don't know if it would ever be four for me, but it is, you know, I guess part of what there's there's two ways I can make the case for Automatic as their best or second best album, let's say which is it's so much better than green or out of time. And so it was exciting when it came out. It was like, oh, thank God. They're not just going downhill right. as a band, you know, as they get huge and famous and start selling millions of records, they're not just going to start making shitty records. This is an incredible album. It doesn't sound anything like their other albums, except to your point, you know, it, uh, there are songs from green and, and, out of time that could go on automatic and vice versa. But overall automatic is the only REM album that just, that sounds that has that particular sound, you know, even though it was, you know, Scott lit producing who had produced the two albums before there was, there's something about that record that just, um, you know, I, I guess the best way I could make the case for it is I think the last three songs on the album are the best last three on any REM record. And, and I, while the first three aren't the best first three, they're, they're, they're damn close. I mean, I, I don't know. I try not to breathe is the most underrated REM song. <laughs> you know, if I had to pick one. you wouldn't know it because it wasn't a single but my god like what an incredible song um and i'm looking yeah. like i'm looking at the 12 songs here matt and really uh, again i think other than new orleans instrumental number one there's there's nothing there's nothing to take out of this record there's nothing to get rid of yeah there's nothing to you shave know. i mean i mean there's that that's two minutes and 16 seconds that, dro that drops you down to 47 minutes that gets you close to your 45 minute mark yeah, you know, yeah. and I it's, and I look at it like the singles. Oh my god, two of the three biggest songs on this record are over five minutes. Everybody hurts. Oh. A man on the moon are both over five minutes. I never would have thought Man on the Moon was a five minute song. Right, because it's just it it takes you on such a journey that song that you don't even realize it's been going on for five minutes till it's over and i i kind of wonder why it is five minutes i don't know how they wound up at that at that length it's i guess it's just a lot of writing and that there's a lot of verses um, um but i mean i'm i'm looking at this and it's fun to go back and look at these and i'm sure i'm gonna have this feeling about all these records moving forward but like yeah it's you know for me it's i think probably the reason that this doesn't sit and it was hard to leave this out of the top three, to be honest with you. But I think the reason it didn't make it 
was that it sounds less like a quintessential REM record than the three records that did make it. Yeah, it's not. It's less of a rock album in a way. Yeah. Like it's not. It's a. It's a more acoustic, contemplative, almost like a band facing middle age, even though they were only. They were probably only. Well, they know, even thirty three at the time or something. Um, a couple of them were turning thirty when they made that record, and they turning made it, thirty. Oh yeah, they God. made it. Yeah, so it's so it's young. Little, yeah, it's a little bit like you know what McCartney's what like twenty eight when the Beatles break up or some shit. Yeah. Right. Right. You know, uh, when 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 Johnny Marr leaves the Smiths, he hasn't even turned 27. Oh, and by the way, same with, you know, George Harrison, when the Beatles yeah. broke up, he was yeah. like 26 or 20. Crazy, just crazy. So crazy. Um, it's this is a record that I and this was a record that I had fun going back and listening to. There are a couple songs on automatic for the people that I would have thought, oh, these won't age well. Mm-hmm. Things like. Like I could see a song like Ignore Land aging really poorly. And yeah. yet, even though it's about a very specific political moment, yes, it's it's broad enough that it still plays. And look, it's my if I had to pick, forgetting the instrumental, just of the songs on the record, it is my least favorite because it's political, and none of the other songs are. It sounds different than all the other songs on the record. So I remember when I first fell in love with the record, I would sometimes skip that song. Like I just. You know, because I bought it. It was one of the first R.E.M. albums where uh, I bought it on CD first. You know, it wasn't I didn't buy the vinyl ever of that. You know, I just had the CD so I could just skip that song. Now I I like it fine. You know, it's still my least favorite song on the record, but it's right. um, you, You know, but I I don't skip it. It's it's. You know, it adds a little variety to the record. It's, you know, it's just I, I, for me. And, and then the other song that it's like that I think knocks it out of most people's top three for R.E.M. is Everybody Hurts. You understand, like, it deserves to be a classic song. It is a classic song. It helped drive sales for the record. It, but there is something kind of... Um, band writing their sort of state, like everyone tur- uh, uh, flicks their lighters song. You know, it is so little- obviously it's a beautiful song, but it's also kind of like in some ways I'd rather listen to Strange Currencies from from, uh, um, from Monster, Monster, which is the same song, basically. But it but he's not singing about, you know, everybody hurts and everybody cries, you know, and it's just kind of like, oh, uh, that's a little cloying. It's a little cloying. I still think it's a. The song is so incredibly well produced. Again, we talked about yeah. High Five being a, a a road movie of a record. That that song is so cinematic that the video is literally a play on a Fellini film. Yeah, yeah. I mean they they knew how like epic that was going to be. They knew how yep. big that was going to play. Yes. Um, my number three is Murmur. So th- you know that's the record I underrated the most. It's my number five. Um, you know, but like, where do you put it? I just. I don't know. I guess I could put it ahead of document and make it my number four documents. My number four, I could, I could swap out that order pretty easily and have document at five and murmur at four. I couldn't put murmur at three without bumping automatic to four, you know, which is, that's where I just, I guess the reason murmur doesn't make my top three is because a band like this that was my favorite American band for decades, I mean, they really were for at least two decades, they 
I just, they did get better. Like even on the next album, I think Reckoning is better. So it's like if they got better and they're the, and they're arguably the best American band of all time, there's easily a case to be made. I mean, you know, uh, uh, GBV, you know, Guided by Voices, 39 albums in now has taken their place for me as the all time great American band, which is kind of absurd. But Uh, I have an absurd cocktail party thing that I say, uh, where I say the three greatest bands in American history all have an acronym. And people are like, what? And I'm like, REM, CCR, and GBV. Oh, okay. I love it. I love it. I don't it. even necessarily believe it, but it's such a succinct sales pitch that I just keep going with it. It's a good one. I love it. CCR is way up there for me for sure. You know, I truly do. I truly do love that band. I think that band is I think that band is so criminally underrated because people think it's just a novelty act and it's not. It's fucking great. Or 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 just singles and the albums weren't right. great. When of course, like Green River and Willie and the Poor Boys came out the same year. I mean, how does a band record those two albums in one year that and are like two want, of the best rock records ever? And if you want your socks rocked off, go go listen to Cosmos Factory and just be in yeah. awe of the first seven minutes of that record called Ramble Tamble. That yeah. song is just like, <laughs> there's stuff that happens in that. And you don't, as a musician, I don't understand it. Like they speed up and slow down the drums in this like mechanical way that feels natural. It's amazing. Yep. And I hate jam bands and that, that shit made jam bands. <laughs> Yeah, right. That's interesting, actually, because even um, before, well, I guess uh, Grateful Dead were hitting their stride by that time. Sure. By the time Cosmos Factory came out, but but yes, they. And I wonder if they were even influenced because they were both San Francisco bands, sort of. I yeah. wonder if they were a little influenced by Grateful Dead stretching out on some of their songs. I live. would think so. I What's would. That, I mean, they certainly never thought, a never lot thought of... about that before, but it could be. Um. So, <laughs> murmur. Murmur. I'm, to, I'm trying to keep us. I'm trying to keep the train back on the tracks. Yeah. So it's like, you know, what's not to love about Murmur? Right. It's a classic album. Uh, it's one of the best debut albums of all time, which I know you said in your, you know, yeah. Right up. I mean, it's certainly, I, I would put it, you know, in the eighties, it's gotta be one of the three best debut albums of the eighties. let's okay let's do it again i get i got 12 songs i i'm looking at these and going what am i going to get rid of maybe nine nine yeah nine nine you know, is probably at the bottom for me and you know west of the fields it. is a little goofy and 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 we walk is a little you know saccharine or something but, and by the way i heard you- i heard bill berry wrote we walk all by himself that that's a bill berry song uh that doesn't surprise me there's a bunch of stuff that you think of as like sort of like classic REM that you and I think of as classic REM stuff that he wrote that he's yes. that he's and and my my other understanding is and I am fortunate enough to work with a drummer who's like this that his real gift was arrangement and that he was he was really great about understanding how to take the disparate pieces and kind of put them together and transition them 
And he yeah, really he served so many crucial functions in that band. People don't realize like he wasn't just a good drummer. I mean, obviously he was a great drummer. He was also a crucial piece of the songwriting in the band. Great and backup singer. I didn't, I didn't even know about the arrangement part, but then he was he was also the guy the, the guy that every band needs who kind of kept the peace between Stipe and the others and kind of, you know, like he 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 created harmony in the band. And when he left, that's when the disharmony started. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I think, I think you have to have somebody who's willing to kind of play a little bit of a peacekeeper in a band. Yes. Especially when you've got, I mean, you don't start a band and do the shit that's necessary to be in a band without having an ego. And you get to yep. the level that REM's in that egos are going to be pretty inflated by circumstance. Right. Yep. You know, um, yeah. I, I mean, I would say other than a couple of songs that are that are probably just fall under good, I I can't yeah. I can't find anything to crack on on Murmur. Yeah, there's nothing my, bad on the record. For my, sure. uh, I agree that even the weakest songs are good. They're just you know right. below the rest of it. My yeah. number two is maybe my personal favorite, and uh, that might be <laughs> why I named my band after one of the songs on this record. It's Reckoning. Yep, yep. Harbor Coat. Right. Yes. Exactly. Oh yeah. No. It's Reckoning is so great. It's like, how do you make one of the best debut albums of all time, right? And then you make what may be the best sophomore album of all time. Like, if if I had, I'm, I'd, I'd really have to think about it. But like, I, off the top of my head, I can't think of a better second album by anybody. I can't think of. I, oof. I mean, really, by like anybody. Meat is murder. I like this more than Meet is Murder. And partly because, by the way, you know, I like Queen is Dead more than Meet is Murder. Because, by the way, I don't like the song Meet is Murder. If we're going to do a Smith's tangent right, here, right. I love that album. I don't like the song Meet is Murder. I hate I that song. Don't. Yeah. I hate that song. So, so it's like if there's, if the title track from that album, like I Not hate that. it. I agree. I yeah. actually, I actually hate it. It may be the Smith's song I hate the most. Um, just because it's political and it's not a good song and it's clumsy writing and it's just oh, like yeah. it's about real, it I hate. Uh, it's actually a real bellwether for the dude he would become. Yeah, um, a little bit. Uh, although, although all, uh, you know, we could sidebar about Morrissey's solo albums. I actually love some of them because he's so funny. He's just um, stayed funny. You know, I he also I, got. Uh, I had a great conversation with two of my dearest friends the other day, and they <laughs> they'd been in a car together. And they said, oh, Maddie, we were talking about you. We were listening to Viva Hate. And I went, <laughs> oh, how did that go? And I said, <laughs> and I said, how did that hold up? And I, I have listened to it recently, and I will confess, I, I still think it's great. Yeah, and, and, I mostly and, think it's great. And, and my friend's response was, I said out loud to Joel, fuck this asshole. <laughs> Meaning, well, uh, was it was it because of the racism meaning, of Bengalian platforms? No, no, it meant it meant this guy is so goddamn good, and then he turned into a piece of garbage because that record is so great, that record is amazing, and then he just sort of like turns into like there are people I know there are people like Billy Bragg has written about the fact that he can't even listen to the Smiths anymore. Oh and my I, god! And I will say that I I have not I have not veered down that path, but I it has been tainted for me a little bit. Look, I 
was a Morrissey fan all the way through. I would say I, I, you know, I was a huge Smiths fan. You know, REM was one of the only bands I cared about more in the eighties and maybe the replacements. Um, but I was a big, big Smiths fan. And the first album Morrissey made that I thought sucked was kill uncle. Um, but, but, you know, you want to talk about, you know, I, I loved the second solo album. What was it called? A uh, Bona drag. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think there's a lot of good stuff on that. There's a bunch um, of great. So I, I actually really like kill uncle. Um, oh. I, saw that, I saw that tour. I still really enjoy some of the songs on that record. It's goofy. Oh. Yeah, um, I, I like, like I also, Life and R. Frank. I mean, there's some good songs on it. I just I also you know, like the rockabilly record he made right after that. So, 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 yeah, that's the thing. I love uh, your arsenal and Vox Hall and I were the peak of his solo career for me. I love okay. those records. You know, 1992, 1994, for him to be making records like those in the 90s where he was sort of out of step with what was going on, but it didn't matter because they sounded like, you know, I like those albums as much as Smith's albums. I really do. I, 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 I don't know that I love them that much. I probably feel that way about the first two. Yeah. Solo Morrissey records. I probably love those at least as much as I love uh you know strange ways yeah example yeah um, yeah it's it, you know yeah i love and i i love strange ways actually and uh you know that's that's the most underrated smith's record in some in some respects um i thought they they finished pretty strong of course i wish wish they had kept going but it's like on vox hall and i the one two punch of the more you ignore me the closer you get and why don't you find out for yourself are as good as like any one two punch that guy ever did. And where is uh where is uh we hate it when our friends become successful in that run? Isn't that right in there too? Uh I don't think that's on that record. That's not I on think that, that record? I think that was a not either a non-LP single or that's on your arsenal. I thought Yeah, uh, it's on your arsenal. It's okay. on the album before. So so okay. there you Thanks, get the man. one you, you you get the three songs in a row. Certain people I know, we hate it when our friends become successful and you're the one for me, fatty. Yeah. That, <laughs> that, also that, has, song run. <laughs> that also has one of my, I love how we've descended into a Morrissey discussion during our REM top 15. That's all right. This is just a, a clue into our brains. They're um, friends with each other, Michael Stipe and Morrissey. Have uh, you ever heard that story of how Michael Stipe reached out to REM after they became famous and he had writer's block and he reached out, uh, he, 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 yeah, Morrissey like gave him advice about how to how to handle fame and and uh, being, by the way, closeted gay and famous. They those those yeah. guys totally bonded. I don't I know bet. if they're still friends now, but they they definitely had a lot to talk about. Uh, yeah, I one of the political songs on your arsenal that I love that I think is hilarious is National Front Disco. Yep, I think that's and that's I, in the I, same run. So you get that certain people I know we hit it when our friends become successful and you're the one for me, fatty. I mean that's as good as a Smiths run. You know those four songs. I would, I would I would put that in there. I think that's a really solid. I, and the uh, album opener, you're going to need someone uh, on uh, your side. Yeah, you're going to need. I was going to say in your life. Yeah, you're going to need someone on your um, side. I, yeah. Opener. Uh, now I need to go listen to that record. Yeah. Uh, so I got I, I got homework I got to do. I got to listen to George Best 30 and I got to listen to yes. your, your, your and Arsenal. The remaster, and if you haven't listened to your Arsenal for a long time, one thing that might, first of all, just having some distance from the Smiths and Morrissey and then just right. going back and listening to that one. But the remaster of the CD actually helped the digital it gave it a the the bigger sound that it had live okay. and kind of like it it just it just sounds yeah, that you put out a live record that that came out um 
Hey, Matt, can I get you to hang out for one second? Sure, no I'm gonna problem. run in the house real quick. Be like two minutes. Sure, no problem. We've reached the intermission point of our program. Matty C had to pee real bad. He's a 51-year-old man with a real weak bladder. And he's going to come back in a minute, and he's never going to finish telling you the story about the live Morrissey record that he wanted to tell you about and that his bladder got in the way of. It's called Beethoven Was Deaf, and it came out the year after your arsenal. And it's really good. You can listen to it on some of the streamers, I think. And if not, I'm sure your friend's got a copy you can bootleg for free, just like it's 2001. All right, let's get back to my interview with Matty B. Thank you so much. I had reached the point where I could no longer form a coherent thought. <laughs> I, I, be, I beat you to that by a, by a, a year or two. Um, yeah, I just uh, like it, it snuck up and it was like, nope, we're done right now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, no, I am going to go back and revisit that, that your Arsenal record because I've listened to Bona Drag maybe within the last year or two. But again, I, I think mostly at this point, I'm just listening to Morrissey in the wild and that's a way for me to kind of soak it up. So to have a reason yeah. to go dig up a particular record that I haven't heard in a long time that I used to love could be fun. Yeah. Yeah, uh, absolutely. But now uh, to not get too sidetracked, let's go back to reckoning for a second. Cause yeah. just another example of how great that is and how widely recognized it is by other songwriters and bands by fans is just this, you know, what maybe one of the 10 best records of the eighties. I mean, way, way up there is pavement my favorite band of the 90s and you know in the 90s they were my favorite American my favorite maybe my favorite band probably and then guided by voices overtook them eventually but um uh you know they have a b-side uh on um their their second album well, it's not on their second album. It is now, actually, on Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain, on all the bonus tracks you get. There's a song called Unseen Power of the Picket Fence. Have you ever heard that song? I have. So, right. We're half the song. He's singing specifically about how much he loves R.E.M. and Reckoning in particular. And it has the funniest lyric ever in it where he he he. uh it culminates with him saying time after time is my least favorite song. <laughs> time after yes. time is my least, I love it. Least favorite. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Um, it's great. And uh, I still, I don't disagree. Yeah. I don't of disagree. Of the 10 either. songs on the record. He's Malcolm is nailing yeah. it. It's my um, least favorite song, but I like it better than the three worst songs on murmur. I like it better than We Walk or West of the Fields or... I, I'll go you, know. you one better. I, I like Time After Time better than I like most bands' three best songs. There you go. There you go. That's I, what's so incredible about I mean, I, I look album. at this and I just go, like, so your first side starts with Harbor Coat, Seven Chinese Brothers, South Central Rain, and Pretty Persuasion. Yeah. How do you... Every song is a classic indie I rock. I mean, you, like come just, out of, you come out of the gate in 15 minutes and hand that over. Like, yeah. I, if that's not a mission statement from a band making a second record, I don't know what you're supposed to do. Yeah, it's almost like, oh, you know, 
Murmur only got us traction with kind of a limited college following kind of thing. How about this? You know, it's it just raises the stakes. It just like I don't know for me just and it's not like you know quantum leap from from Murmur, but it's it's a half notch better than Murmur for me. It no, just, and I it, will say, and I'm not trying to make an analog between REM and the Beatles, but I think there is one thing in common that I think a lot of people forget, and that is both of these bands just worked their asses off the beginning of their career. Yes. I mean, just played incessantly. Yeah, like two shows spent, a year, yeah. REM spent two and a half years in a van and basically played 400 shows. Yeah. And just went to the same little college towns throughout the Southeast and the East Coast over and over and over again. I mean, I, you read stories about them going to New York and playing like after Murmur had come out and after Radio Free Europe was a thing and they'll play at a club and they'll have 28 people. But then the so, next time, but then the next time they come back and there'd be 280 people. And then the next time they come back, they'd have to get a bigger room. And it was a band that was so good, they just grew. And as they grew, they got better. And they got better because yes. they grew and it just became this avalanche thing, right? Where it just snowballs. My older brothers, uh, who was not a fan at the time and wasn't a fan until years later because they got booed off the stage. My older brother was at Yale and they played New Haven in 1983 or even maybe 1982, like when there was wow. just Chronic Town and it probably Murmur had just dropped or something or it was coming right. out. Nobody knew who they were yet at Yale and they got booed off the stage as the opening act. Wow. <laughs> wow. And I, and we've I, all been there. We don't very many of us get to REM Heights, but we've all been we've yeah. all had that night where we got booed off the stage in New Haven. Right, right. <laughs> in New yeah. Haven. We've all yes. we've all had that night. Um yes. well, I, you know I what? think what I what I was also amazed when I did the research, Matt, mm -hmm. is there's an argument about how fast it was done, but this record was made in less than a month. Yeah. They banged there's, it there's, up. Like three there's, weeks. Yeah. yeah, there's 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 an argument as to whether it was uh I think Don Dixon says it's eleven days, or maybe it's Ms. Mitch Easter. One of them says oh. it's eleven days. Somebody else says it's like twenty-five. But the point is it's like three weeks. Yeah. It's like it's like three weeks and they and that's everything. That's and that mixing, includes mixing, yeah. Yep. Yeah, everything. Yep. Um it's really a it's a remarkable accomplishment. Um and again, these are guys in their very, very early twenties, and they have the uh, I didn't know this until I did the research. Did you know that IRS before Murmur came out wanted them to work with English producer Stephen Haig? Yeah, I uh, I think I learned that from your from yours. Okay. Uh, yeah. So I don't I didn't know that. And what an awful match of producer and band. Right. And right. Stephen Haig. I'm not a fan of his in general. Like he he's one of those producers. It was all gated re verb on the drums it's just the opposite of everything yep. that rem is and and you know obviously he produced some classic 80s records but it was like i maybe he was working with simple minds and certain but it was like just so wrong for rem great example of how like the label a and r guys usually just don't know like a smart band knows better what what's right for them yeah the story and, i read was that one of the reasons that they worked so quickly was so that the label couldn't come back in and tell them to change it yeah. Oh God. Was that they un they understood that if they if they waited around, they were going to get forced into doing something they didn't want to do, and so just deliver a record and get it out yep. and have it be done. Um, and thank God they did that. It's it it's it's truly, it's just a compact work of genius. Yeah.
by it every time I hear it because it's I mean I unfortunately in my I shouldn't say unfortunately I can't tell how long the actual record is because I've got the deluxe edition here so it doesn't yeah. tell me what the runtime is on these 10 songs but like a cursory look tells me you 40 know, minutes yeah and that's there's no way it's more half than 40 of or 42 minutes half that's yeah. cameras six minutes long oh interesting I always forget you know, camera. and I yeah. and I love that song but that that song runs on a little long uh, yeah, but again, we're, a long, we're, sure. we're, we are nitpicking. I mean, we are we're, we're we are, just quibbling. We, you know, we are quibbling at the at the at the feet of a masterpiece at this point. Uh, speaking of which, let's get to the the actual masterpiece, which yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know. I I feel like maybe I did this in the same way that you did. That I felt like if somebody said, "Hey, where do I start?" I think you start with Live Search Pageant. Yeah, it's you know, look, I could toggle automatic and life search pageant back and forth in some ways life search looks life search pageant is definitely the better rock record you know what i mean oh, if you're just talking sure. about like a straight up fantastic rock record that anyone who likes rock and roll would love life search pageant whereas i couldn't necessarily say that about automatic for the people you'd certainly like some songs yeah but it's not they're just, it's not a rock album in the same way. Oh, so no. Life's Rich Pageant is more, you know, is it's just a, like, uh, I love it every bit as much as Automatic for the People. And it's more like, it's just almost like I'm over-intellectualizing when I, when I put Automatic ahead of it, because my heart loves Life's Rich Pageant more. You know, so um, I'm basically with you. That's my favorite album of theirs. I, That's the one. If I could only bring one to a desert island, it would probably be it, be that one. It kind of ticks all the boxes, right? I yeah, mean, you want to talk gonna... about first five songs. The, that's the only album of theirs, maybe, where the first five songs beat the first five songs on Reckoning. I mean, mm, how do you do that? Oh, oh, we're gonna have a, we're gonna have a. I'm gonna do a little research because <laughs> I think I would say that about Document. I think Document. I was going to say, example. first five songs on Document are fabulous. The first no, side of it's here's incredible. the problem. Here's why it's not. If if so, it's finest work song. Welcome yep. to the occupation. Exhuming McCarthy. Disturbance at the Heron House. And then Strange. If it's and, the end of the world as we know it was in there instead of a cover of an obscure Wire song. Yes. Or if the one I love was in there. Well, that's think about that. You take Strange yeah. out the first six songs of those first four that I mentioned. Then it's the end of the world and the one I love. That's your first yes. six. If you take Strange, isn't that crazy? And they put that Wire cover in the middle of it. Got you know God knows why. And they should have put Strange at the end of the record uh, where they put Superman on. Like you know, like like if you're gonna do a cover and you're REM, you know, right, what tuck I mean? it in, tuck it in. Like the eleventh hour, you should put it at the end, yeah, or yeah. as a hidden track or something like that. I mean, I like their cover of Strange, but um, and I love that they that they're Wire fans, which GBV is also. Uh, you know, uh, yes. a big Wire fan. Yeah, Uncle Bob's a a, a big uh, a big Wire fan. As long yeah. as we're talking about covers, let me circle back to Wall of Death. Oh. Okay, first of all, one of the most sublime covers I've ever heard. Ever. One of one of the handful of covers I think that are just that truly outshine the original. It's actually better than the original. Yeah. 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 Um, 
it's not even the only time REM's done that. <laughs> but I know uh, they're they're that good at it. Um, yes. But, um, I have this thing, and I haven't done one for a while that I was doing fairly regularly called mixtape for a future self, where I record covers of other people's songs in a context of something that's happening in my life personally. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of talked about kind of dealing with losing my dad and the idea of like sort of like really understanding mortality in a new way. And I did a cover of Wall of Death, and it was as inspired as much by the REM version as the Richard Thompson version. Oh yeah, and uh, totally. I just—it you know. uh, was a treat to do it, and it was like paying homage to two things I love. I'd love to hear it, by the way. If you, uh, um, I will absolutely send you a copy of it for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the other cover of theirs that I think is better than the original, although it's it's an original that a lot of people don't even know, but it's one of the most heartbreaking songs ever recorded. I don't know. Uh, if you know R.E.M.'s cover of Sid Barrett's song, Dark Globe. It, that was exactly the next thing that I was going to mention. Yep. Oh, yeah. my God. It's the a Sid heartbreaking Sid Barrett song. original, I, I almost can't even listen to it. It's so heartbreaking. And then R.E.M.'s is even more heartbreaking. Uh, it's absolutely gorgeous. I have a friend who who cannot listen to the Sid Barrett original because she just can't take Sid Barrett seriously. <laughs> Oh no, she's got to get past uh, that. I know, I know. I'm like, I'm like, okay, we got to get you a copy of Opal, and uh, you can yeah. really, really fucking weird out. Yeah, um, Opal's, Opal's, uh, Opal's tough. Um, Opal's tough. And, but you know, uh, Joe Boyd, by the way, produced the first two Pink Floyd singles that Sid Barrett wrote. Uh, uh, did you know that? He did Arnold Lane and uh, C. Emily and Play, right? C. Emily Play, yes, he did. Yeah, those. Those are Incredible. those are maybe my two favorite Pink Floyd songs. I I really I am one of the rare people who really prefers early Floyd. Look, I go back and forth. I mean, I am a pretty big Pink Floyd fan, but not a huge one. Um, I love the Sid Barrett stuff, obviously. Well, not obviously. I'm just tell, I'm telling you, I, lo- I love the Sid Barrett stuff, and I love Sid Barrett's first two solo albums. I actually love those records. They're 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 sad and weird and did you get um, into those through robin hitchcock i think i did that's how i, I, I that's how i found them that's how i found his solo records um, uh, I, had a, I had a friend who who tipped me off to the first couple floyd records specifically those early singles and and yep. and piper at the gates of dawn and then that eventually moved into i i, I also really like uh saucer full of secrets quite a bit oh nice I like yeah that record um, yep. Yep. And uh, then, um, by the way, speaking of Robin Hitchcock, my third favorite R.E.M. cover that's so much better than the original is their cover of Robin Hitchcock's Arms of Love, which agreed. was ruined by the producer. Yeah. Uh, and their version of it is what it should have sounded like. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, classic song. It should be a classic song. And all right. People, oh. most people have never even heard it. You know, they, and if they and if anyone heard R.E.M.'s version, they'd be like, oh, that's a classic song. Yeah, that's a it's an inst- it's it, that the quote unquote instant classic that the kids love. Yeah, um, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to pick out a couple of my absolute favorites from from pageant that just make me excited every time I hear them. Yep. Um, I'm going to give you I'm going to give you two so I don't steal all the thunder. <laughs> leave a couple for you. Um, I would. I know that the critics pick is a different ballad on this record, but I have a real special attachment to Cuyahoga.
find that song to be beautiful and moving. I I love the one-two punch of that and Fall On Me before it, and it really being the first moment where Stipe really kind of becomes an activist in kind of a really outward way. Yeah. He really kind of starts to talk about things that are on his mind that that have a greater, larger meaning. Um, and, I well, mean, in terms and of you also policy. just, yeah, the, the kind of um, his voice, his vocal range too, is just, you know, on fall on me in particular, is just like, whoa, okay, this guy, there's no limit to like what this guy can do vocally. Uh, yeah. It also doesn't hurt on both of those songs that the angelic pipes of Mike Mills are serenading. Oh, yes. The Mike Mills harmony, man. He's the secret weapon of that band in the uh-huh. same way that the bassist, of Van Halen is the secret weapon in that band. Correct. Uh, yeah. uh, What's when, his name? Uh, Anthony. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Michael Anthony. Yeah. Michael Anthony. Yeah. When um, several years ago, I went to go see the Baseball Project, and it was. I would love um, to see. It was. I've seen them a couple times. It's a really fun experience. I and, love their records. And me too. And and um and Scott McCoy is one of the most genuinely kind and sweet people you will ever meet in your life. He's ah. just an amazing dude. He's so great. Um, By the way, I never knew that's how you pronounced his name. I just, I always pronounced it Makahi or something. That's I how I thought it was until I heard him say it. No way. Yeah. I, I had a feeling when you said you met him. I'm like, oh, that must yeah. be right. Yeah. Scott McCoy. I love Scott that. McCoy. Yeah. Never so, knew that. Uh, so he's a great guy. So, you know, we're waiting in line and the deal is Mills, Mills is there and he's like, I'll sign all the REM merch you want but you got to buy some baseball project shit. He's like, you buy one record and I'll sign a bunch of REM stuff. He's like, but you don't buy anything. I'm not signing anything. <laughs> he's like, that's how it works. That's awesome. So he clearly he's looking out for his friends and it was great. And so uh-huh. we're waiting in line and, uh, you know, get little picture thing and get to meet him and talk to him for a couple of minutes. And I met him with a couple of dear friends and we have this joke that he is an American treasure. Mm-hmm. That he's the secret weapon of REM and REM yeah. is the greatest American band, and therefore he's an American treasure. Yep. And my friend says, uh, hey, you should meet my friend Maddie. He says you're an American treasure. And Mike Mills turns to me and shakes my hand and he goes, I think you have me confused for Nick Cage. <laughs> That's very funny. Yeah. Yeah. That's so random. Uh it was really good. And uh, I've actually had the good fortune to meet half of that band, and they were both really, really kind to me. Really nice. Yeah, I have. Peter Buck, I have Peter Buck never, was also really nice. Yeah, um, everybody says he's super nice and generous, and like just you know an amazing. And I guy. um, I was very concerned because you, what are you gonna say? What are you gonna do? And actually, with Peter Buck, all we did was talk about how awesome Alejandro Escovedo was because he was playing on his tour, and so we just spent ten minutes talking about Escovedo and how great he was. So that was real fun. Yep. Well, I'm a big fan of Escovedo. Actually, I only got turned on to him. I want to say like in the last five years and I've become a, become a fan. Um, All right. Wrapping it up. My other, my other favorite song on this record is I believe. What you want and what you need. There's a key. Your adventure for today. What do you do between horns of the
it's it's I don't even know how to talk about favorite songs on the record. They're all amazing. I mean, even underneath the bunker was the one I obviously didn't care about when the album came out. But even now, like now, I wouldn't kick that song off the record because it's such a weird. I didn't even know it was an original when I first heard it, because the way they recorded it, it sounds like they're covering some old song from the 30s or something. And it's, you know, and it's just such a weird, neat, original, singular thing in the R.E.M. catalog that I actually wouldn't take it off the record um and listening uh, to it now it's a really interesting piece of history right yeah like it's this whole thing about like nuclear paranoia yeah kind totally. of kind of done as this little novelty song and in a way it's kind of an interesting piece of little like you know anthropology tossed into this amazing rock record yeah. um so my, now, so so uh, I, I'm I appreciate you. It's very generous of you to leave me begin the begin. you know, the best opening song on like maybe any record. I just, I mean, I, there, you know how there were records when they came out, it said on the vinyl, play it loud. Yes. You know, it's like begin the begin is one of those songs and, and same is true of finest work song on document, but I'll take begin the begin over finest work song, even, you know, that you just, you have to crank it. It's just oh. so good. It's and, so, yeah. Uh, the way it, the way it falls into these days doesn't hurt either. Oh God. Yeah. With exactly with no, it's like, I don't even think there's a one second break. Yeah. They no, just, it's just a mm, bow, right into like, each other. Such an amazing. incredible. And, and, and then, and then the record gets a little, like it really takes, it takes a big dip with fall on me and Cuyahoga. Yeah. Like well, you mean in terms so, of just like the mood? Yeah. Like suddenly that, it's like, it comes out of the gate super strong and there's all this energy. Yep. And then we drop down for two consecutive songs that basically go on for like seven minutes. Yep. And they're gorgeous. Seven the minutes only, of perfection. Yep. I was, I was going to say, the only reason you can get away with doing that after that opening one, two punch is that you just have two songs that are somehow better and quieter. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. And then, you know, we, we, we haven't talked about what if we give it away. I love that oh. song. You know, it's just such uh, a Swan Swan H is uh, a, a real favorite of mine. Yep. Um, I again, that to me feels that to me feels like something that feels like a bridge between fables and this. Yeah. Um, Interesting. Sure. That is that is that could have come off of the second half of fables. Yes. Landed on to the second half of 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 Life's Rich Pageant and made perfect sense. Yep. And then, of course, uh, when we were talking about favorite R.E.M. covers, I don't know how we (laughs) somehow forgot uh, I am Superman. That's obviously arguably their greatest cover because it takes a song that no one knew, you know, from our generation anyway, no one knew it. And I was actually disappointed when I learned it was a cover because I loved it so much. I was so bummed that REM didn't write it. 
And then, you know, you yeah. go back and you hear the original and you're like, whoa, this is so much better than the original. I understand why this isn't a classic song, even though, you know, the lyrics are so fun. I kind of uh, feel like that. That's almost well, it's my favorite kind of cover is when somebody takes something and makes it something that takes somebody that's good and really well written. Right. And then makes it great. Right. And a, and a song that would have just disappeared off the face of the earth if R.E.M. hadn't rescued it. You know, have they you ever uh, not that it was going to disappear. Have you ever heard the story? I'm sure it's apocryphal about Otis Redding hearing Aretha, Aretha Franklin's version of Respect the first time. I can't remember. I feel like I have read something about that because I'm into Southern soul and I've read, like you know, seen documentaries and read books and stuff. Um, what is what does it remind and, me? What and, this and it could be bullshit, but the, yeah. the deal is that he and like three of his bandmates are in this car driving down the road and they're listening to the radio and the new Aretha version of Respect comes on. Mm -hmm. And uh, he gets about halfway through the song, he's listening to it, and his bass player leans forward, smacks him on the shoulder while he's sitting there shotgun, and he goes, man, that lady is tearing up your song. And he turns around, and he goes, fool, you obviously aren't listening. That ain't my song anymore. Oh, that's awesome. I've never heard that. Yeah. I hope that's not apocryphal. I, love I do too. I, I really hope it's a true story. I love that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's so cool. Yeah. Um, that makes me even more sad that Otis oh. died so young, man. Yeah. Um, but shit. I think that's, to me, that's the, that's the thing where you take something that's good and you turn it into something great. And that's what they did with Superman. That's what they do really. They've done it really well. Even that, you know, Trog's cover they did which was, you know, what love is all around us. Is that what it's called? Oh yeah, you know, that, sure. That goofy little thing. Like that sure. was, you know, for the thing they did it, because they did that for the the first time they were on Unplugged on MTV. They and that was a it up. Yep. sweet little thing, you know, yep. it was great. Um, I love it. It was, a, it was a, a fun choice. So, so lest we get lost, Austin, the REM albums uh, um, in order of preference or, you know, greatness. Um, I propose we end on the following note. Yes, sir. Little do, little do many. I, I guess most REM fans know at least one of these songs for sure. But two of my favorite REM songs aren't on their albums, which is The Great Beyond, which they wrote for, you know, that that best of compilation they put out. Yep. I heard that song for the first time live in 1986. Um, I had never, I was like, what is this song? It's so good. And frankly, the recorded version just wasn't as good as the live version, but I always loved the song because it was so incredible live. And I had, you know, it was one of those discoveries where you've just never heard it before. And like, I was like, this isn't a cover because the lyrics are so clearly stipes, but what is this? I don't know this song, you know? And then right. uh, the compilation dropped and I was like, oh, there it is. Thank God. Um, and that was their first non-Bill Berry song and just totally fantastic. Um, and then their final song as a band, you know, the uh, We All Go Back to Where We Belong, I think is just gorgeous. I need to go back and listen to that again. It's, um, yeah, it's only on, you know, uh, um, that collection, uh, part part something, part garbage, part, you know, the where it's oh, like part a giant... Part truth, yeah, part lies, part garbage, something like yeah, that. Yes, it's it's on there, and it was a non-LP single. It was the last REM single. It's the last official REM single, okay. and it's fucking gorgeous. 
I'm gonna it's a have beautiful to, song. I'm gonna have it's to like, dig this out because I don't know that I've ever even heard this. Oh, dude. I was hoping you were going to say that. So many REM fans don't even know about that song. It was their last single. You will get choked up listening to that song. I guarantee it. Um, I also think we should do a fun little challenge. Let's call it. Um, I don't know what we're going to. I don't know how we're going to going to frame it. I want to start a, a little a little tag via email or text. And we can literally just send titles back and forth. You and I in a round robin draft style are going to pick the 12 best REM covers. I'm going to put a playlist together oh. and we're going to share it with people. Well, and so literally it'll be like a, it'll be like a draft and we'll, we'll each get to pick one and then the other one will go and we'll do that till we each have six. And then we'll have a dozen of them. That'll give us roughly an hour. <laughs> and then we can present people with why REM is the greatest band doing other people's songs. Ever. Yeah. We didn't talk about the velvet underground covers. I mean, no, on, uh, they're, like- they're, supremely drunk but hilariously fun version of king of the road yep yep you can have that one in your top six. i'm not i'm not it's gonna great, take but it it's not in my I'm top not, six yeah no, i know absolutely that doesn't not. even make their 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 uh dozen um, yeah yeah all it's, right it's okay so all right and then you've got to text me after you've listened to we all go back to where we belong on headphones all right i will absolutely do that matt this was an absolute blast my friend thank you so much for doing this a pleasure always a pleasure and uh uh happy holidays and here's to a you know happy healthy and productive and prosperous hopefully uh, new year there he goes my friend and yours substacker author film producer the man behind Secret Stars, 10 Heroes of the Indie Rock Era. I apologize if I uh, got that subtitle wrong on the fly there, Matt. Um, I uh, I can't thank Matt enough for being on the show. What an absolute treat to get to sit around and talk about R.E.M. And uh, it was just an absolute blast. Uh, we also managed to somehow discuss Morrissey's solo career at length, early Pink Floyd, uh, the laws, the wedding present, and a whole lot more. I hope you enjoyed our chat. Remember, you can always sign up for a subscription over at whatamimaking.substack.com. Your paid subscriptions are what make this thing go. You are the engine to our tiny little vehicle. Please sign up today. You can get going for as little as five bucks a month. It makes an enormous difference. Make sure that you are remembering to like, rate, and review the pod wherever you listen, and make sure you're paying attention to everything that's going on over at Substack. Until then, my friends, I will see you next time. I love you. Cheers. Back there with an episode of Matty C and his ADHD where Matty said... Charlie Sheen, and he meant to say Martin Sheen. You got your Sheens mixed up, boy!